And it all comes down to this. Two on, two out. Bottom of the ninth, the Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate, and it's the Agview Pitch! Welcome to another episode of the Agview Pitch, and we're starting a new week heading into the week of, Mar of March the 9th all the way through the 13th. And it looks like we're going to have a Friday the 13th this coming week, too. Dwayne, how's it going today? Uh, good, Chris. It's uh, starting to look and feel like uh, spring could be around the corner. And depending on where our listeners are at, they probably feel like uh, it is around the corner. Yeah, just kind of talking to you a little bit there offline before we kind of started recording here. Um, mentioned to you, you know, we've got a number of clients that are actually running in hydras. Now they have been, a couple of them been running for a few days with this warm, nice weather we've had. So I don't know if this is actually spring or if this is a preview and we'll probably get knocked back out of the field again, but it, at least there's a few people that have been able to, to run. And I know I talked to a couple of the guys that, you know, they were in areas where they were planting uh, corn yet last year in June and <clears throat> they're already out putting in hydras on now. So that's um, maybe a tell for a new, a new year, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> well, I got a bunch of things I, I was going to kind of go over with you, Dwayne. But, you know, the I guess where I'll start is where the rest of the media is at right now, which is on the coronavirus. Um, I was gone all last week traveling and, and actually was out of the country and come back in going through the Atlanta airport. We didn't, you know, see anything totally out of the ordinary. I'd say maybe there was a few less people when we went through customs than other times when we go through customs. And um, so I guess um, didn't see anything out of the ordinary. We were actually in the Atlanta airport, um, but you sure hear a ton of stuff going on. And obviously China and, and a few other countries have pretty much shut down and, and things, but um, what are you hearing and, and you know what kind of impact and, and what do you think as we move into a new week that coronavirus has in store for us this, this next week? Well, uh, first of all, I'm glad, glad that you um, uh, had a great trip and you made it back. And uh, oh, by the way, since you are talking about being in all these airports, et cetera, um, I'm going to cancel that lunch appointment we had tomorrow for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So don't take it personal or anything. Yeah, you, you might um, want to stay away from me or or I could wear a mask and we could still talk. <laughs> I'll, I think I'll uh, Skype you. Okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, as far as the coronavirus, um, you basically have kind of the situation somewhat similar to where you were a week ago, um, but with, uh, with uh, you know, a week's worth of price action that's digested it to some extent. And I think that's kind of an important thing to keep in perspective. Um, the uh, um, media is still looking to... Uh, uh, fan the flames a little bit. The uh, politicians are trying to walk the line between um, not uh, being not downplaying it too much, but in the same token, you know, not trying to create too much fear. But at the same time, every every politician is trying to blame it on the other side of the political aisle. So they're they're walking that dance. The uh, markets have been volatile. Um, and before I really talk about the coronavirus in terms of whatever might be the latest news or data, I think it's important to put in perspective 
one week ago today, we did this podcast and uh, the whole world was negative and bearish and fearful and panic stricken. And uh, the uh, uh, people were afraid how much weakness we would get in the grain markets and everything else. And in the end, um, the grain markets uh, opened uh, basically unchanged, pretty much immediately rallied, had pretty strong performances until uh, probably Friday's action, maybe a little bit on Thursday's action. And in general, um, from a week ago, at a time when people were thinking the wheels were going to fall off and it was all panic and fear, for the week last week, uh, corn was up seven and three quarter cents, beans were up eight and a half, wheat was down nine and a quarter. Um, the stock index w was actually up 425 points. It was very volatile day. We had, you know, I don't know I, I'm going to say four of the days of the week. We had the um, stock indexes trading 800 points or more, you know, uh, variants from the previous day's settlement. So we certainly had a lot of volatility. Uh, we ended up uh, uh, with weakness on Friday in the stock indexes, but not as much as uh, it was during the day things recovered. Probably the biggest thing that performed poorly last week was actually crude oil. And that was due to uh, uh, Russia not wanting to participate in an OPEC plan to reduce uh, crude oil production by one and a half million barrels a week. Um, that might have uh, some impact on commodity thinking in general. Um, I'm not sure. I find it hard to believe that they're going to, that's the final word on that. In other words, I think it's most likely that uh, during the next three or four weeks, they will come to an agreement on a, on a deal to cut production. Um, over the weekend, uh, Saudi Arabia basically said that they are uh, going to increase production beginning the 1st of April since Russia didn't want to agree to their de deal. And uh, um, I would imagine that's a way of sending a signal to Russia. If you want a price war, we'll have a price war, but this is probably stupid. And uh, so the other OPEC members probably aren't going to like this because um, Saudi Arabia and uh, the rest of OPEC um, had agreed to the one and a half billion cut. It was only Russia that didn't want to. So it will be interesting to see how this un unfolds. But for right now, it makes crude oil pretty much untradeable. I think that uh, it's highly unlikely that they maintain the next X number of months without a a uh, production cut plan, but uh, right now the marketplace has got to digest that and we'll have to see whether um, through time uh, between now and the end of the month, whether they are able to put together a deal or not. But that's probably the one thing that looks a little bit maybe uh, negative. Um, the one thing that's flown under everybody's radar last week that I think is very important needs to be mentioned is the dollar index. The dollar got considerably weaker last week. The long-term charts um, have been pointing to a downturn uh, coming at some point. And as far as I'm concerned, that's something that's been uh, in the works and in the signals for several months. I think that that uh, last week's trade probably is a strong indication that has begun. And I think that it's a strong likelihood that the dollar can weaken in the months ahead. And I think that's important to commodities in general and certainly important to our ag commodities. So that's maybe a bright spot. Um, getting back to what you originally asked about was the uh, coronavirus. Um, we certainly have 
uh, a lot of uh, anxiety and fear, but uh, you know, it didn't prevent you from going to an airport. I'm sure it's, it has a negative impact on airline travel, hotel, uh, restaurants, all of that. Um, but last week's price action in the stock index was quite stabilizing and uh, it puts in perspective all the panic that we had last week. And if somebody sold into that Sunday night, that certainly didn't work out very well for them. I would imagine that you'll see stabilization in the stock index again this week, um, maybe <clears throat> probably less volatile than last week, uh, but still stabilizing mm -hmm. in terms of equities in general. Um, I think that uh, uh, people are looking at the economic damage from coronavirus and trying to look at it from the perspective that it definitely uh, reduces ec economic activity, uh, but they think it's going to be more short-lived, measured in a few months. At least that's kind of the hope. The U.S. economy is probably the best position to to uh, handle it ver versus other economies. I think China is uh, beginning to uh, open the doors to uh, production facilities, um, manufacturing, and I think the worst is behind <laughs> us in terms of their closures. And so I think that's probably a good sign. Um, I don't know how the U.S. is going to fare or how long this is going to last. There's a, a belief that this will be like other flus and diminish as the calendar and, and, and the seasons change, which I'd be inclined to believe. Um, so I don't see the coronavirus as uh, I never have seen it as being a factor for ag markets or ag consumption. And I think last week's price action was a, a, a strong uh, uh check mark in favor of, of, of my assessment that it's really not. And I think we'll see that again this week. And uh, so I think the the ag markets are going to come in Sunday night and be pretty much unchanged. And if there's some weakness early, it won't be very, very much. The focus will be on USDA's report on Tuesday. And um, um, so I, I think the uh, coronavirus thing is going to begin to fade away uh, because I think the, the benefit of seeing China starting to uh, uh, regain their footing on, on manufacturing, it might be a slower grind, but they're at least moving in that direction. If you look at Europe, um, they're, uh, they're probably still in the, you know, hunkering down type mode. And so we might have more slowing there. That might even, that might even be the case in the U.S. as well. But um, I, I, I don't see it as a, uh, market moving influence for ag commodities myself. Well, it's definitely with you. You know, I was I was in a meeting with you what a week and a half ago, and the your attitude towards the coronavirus impacting the the price of you know grain, corn, soybeans, wheat, etc., uh, was that basically there was almost zero impact from the coronavirus, and and the other party that we had in the meeting, which was a processor individual from the processing uh, industry disagreed, didn't they? Didn't they? Uh, they certainly did. <laughs> you, you know, they, they, were, they were thinking 10% or I don't know, or did he say 20%? I mean, the, the thing of it is, is, you know, a lot of other people out there besides yourself, Dwayne, are, you know, really fearful yet and almost like fanning the flames a little bit. And 
Um, I mean, do you think there's any impact or anything right now on these prices? Do you think these prices would be a little bit stronger than this right now? Um, had we, you know, and maybe come out of that, you know, the end of February timeframe, first of March, going into the middle of March, would it be, would have been maybe a little stronger than we've been? Or do you, do you think it's just kind of where we would have been anyway? Well, I was motivated by that meeting. I kind of got a little bit wound up at that meeting and um, <laughs> I was motivated a week ago to write in my Sunday comments, a timeline of coronavirus <laughs> as it progressed and put alongside that, you know, grain market price action. I think it's very, very, very hard pressed to define price action on a day-to-day -day basis in the grain trade versus the coronavirus timeline. Uh, by the time the coronavirus actually became a talking point, uh, the bean market uh, rallied 34 cents and they rallied for three weeks at a time when the coronavirus was, you know, becoming you know, uh, the number one news item. Okay, so that didn't really fit. If you look at the corn market, uh, the, the corn market had about five days worth of trade. Well, back up a minute. The corn market had probably several weeks of trade in a very narrow range between, you know, um, mid-January to mid-February. And then finally, in the last few days, of, several days of February, we had a sell-off, okay? Uh, people were at the same time trying to throw a coronavirus fear into that storyline. The reality is that f break had far more to do with people being forced out of uh, March positions before first notice day, uh, producers having to be enforced to uh, roll or price their um, basis contracts, things of this nature. And, uh, as and we're going we into a time where we need cash flow, too. Exactly. I mean, there's, exactly. there's drain go back because of cash rents. You could go back and see similar price action in many Februarys, and it had nothing to do with coronavirus or any of the other things that they might throw out for at, at, at different times. And the reality is that you now have, you look back and you had five days of weakness. It was all in that last few days of February, and the corn market has recovered all of that. And in the case of the, you know, the nearby contract, the spot corn chart, now Friday, even after having a down day on Friday, you're still at the bottom side of that parameter that you had for in several weeks between January and February. So I, I just don't accept the fact that there's a direct tie-in between coronavirus and the grain trade. And, uh, but if you would have sold the grains on coronavirus, you'd have a losing position and you would have had it immediately. Um, so I, I, I don't I don't see it. Um, we're going to come in here tonight and we're going to have had the uh, weakness on Friday and we're going to have weakness from crude oil. So you got a certain segment of the trade that will look at that. And then you're going to have, again, another weekend of churning around the fear associated with coronavirus. And so you're going to have people wanting to call them the grain markets lower again t tonight as well. Um, maybe we do open lower. I don't think it has to be very much if we do. And I don't think it, that uh, the coronavirus is going to be any more of a reason to sell grains today or to this week than it was last week. And it was exactly the opposite last week. So I, I don't see the impact. We're market, the grain markets are going to look at Tuesday's USDA reports. They're, you know, maybe look a little bit at the uh, commitment traders data, which uh, I think may have surprised people a little bit on how that came out. Um, you had 
uh, corn uh, shorts were reduced by 10,000 contracts. Uh, wheat did suffer from liquidation pressures, um, probably is to some level of get me out uh, positions. Uh, but the wheat market is still long and the funds are still long the wheat. Uh, funds uh, covered in um, more than half of their short bean position. Um, I think people might be surprised at that. They're still short, but they covered in a lot of it. Um, so um, I, I think that there's other things that are maybe more important to talk about than the coronavirus. So maybe we'll get to that a little bit. But uh, okay. to get back to your question, I don't see the coronavirus as being uh, an impact in the last several weeks. And I don't and I think uh, there's no reason to think that it's going to be now either. Okay, um, let, let's. I want to back up for a minute too when you were talking about oil, and you look at the futures there, and a lot of producers have bought you know, fuel. You know, some bought fuel, and we continued lower, and and now there's there's people. You know, I think buying their fuel. You know, pretty much for the whole year. And one thing I always say is, you know, fuel isn't. It's not like it's as big a deal. A lot of people make a lot bigger deal out of it than it is. You look at as look at fuel as a percent of cost, you know, to us as grain producers. It's not a, a, a huge ticket item, but but it might be. I guess my question is, it might be if you look at it multi-year, more of a big deal. Is there an opportunity to do something on the borders or something that? you know, and, and obviously we aren't making recommendations here, but is there an opportunity to have a conversation with our brokers on, you know, maybe locking in oil futures or something along that line to protect a, maybe a multi-year position on that or, or what's your thought there? I'm in favor, I am in favor of producers taking an aggressive approach to getting their energy needs covered. The, um, some will say that, well, if Saudi Arabia and uh, OPEC is going to get involved in a price war scenario, all these energy prices will, you know, plummet and they'll stay down. And uh, maybe there's truth to that as a possibility. I wouldn't rule that out completely, but I don't believe that uh, all the parties uh, involved will decide to um, um, be detrimental to themselves to get involved in that I think that it is far more likely that within a, a few weeks time um, and before they completely ramp up production um, they'll find a way to, to uh, put together a deal so I would think that this weakness is probably temporary regardless of how that turns out I'm a, a strong believer that producers should be taking measures to to get their field field fuel needs booked. And that would mean if their supplier offers a booking program, that's the first place I would look to try to get uh, needs covered. And I, I'd go out as far as they'd will, willing to go with a booking program. In terms of trying to do something in the futures market, I, I, would, I would advocate it, but in the same token, you're not going to be able to do something that's going to be, you know, 100% uh, a legitimate hedge. It might be a hedge, but you're going to most likely end up taking a longer position in the energy that, than what the fuel needs are that you need. But I would advocate that uh, in the months ahead, I would probably advocate constantly having a bullish position in energy futures um, as, as a, as a uh, I would see it as a legitimate hedge and a legitimate approach. But mm -hmm. 
you're, you're going to have a difficult time matching up a contract size with maybe your fuel needs, and you're going to have a difficult time matching up a crude oil market movement with you know the price movement that you experience in in your physical uh, fuel that you needs that you buy. But um, I I would take the approach that that, that is the, the right approach. And you're correct; it's a small percentage of their overall cost. But in the same token, you know it's it's a it's still a cost that seems uh, to be on the historical bottom side of parameters that um, uh, would warrant uh, taking a, a, a having a bullish bias towards it from a user perspective. Yeah, it just seems to me like there's an opportunity there is kind of why I asked. So appreciate that. Um, another another thing, you know, we were talking about, which I know you love talking about the coronavirus and stuff. Are, are there other things, you know, that are going to be driving the market as we go through March. I mean, a lot of times we don't see the strength in, you know, in any of these cash markets or futures until we get a little more into spring and get some kind of weather activity or whatever. Is there anything, um, <clears throat> you know, if the weather's appearing to be nice right now, obviously, you know, can we get the adverse effect of a weather market the other way or, or is the weaker dollar and, and some of these reports, you know, and some of these things that will be coming up going to have more more of a positive effect on the market, I guess. A little bit of perspective around that if you have some ideas. Well, I don't particularly like trading weather too much. I certainly don't like trading it in March. I think we can right. uh, see that there's areas that are a large part of the U.S. growing region is too wet. And uh, so... It might be easy for some places to get into a situation where if the forecast happened to take on a, a wet appearance, it would be a problem. But um, I'm not focused on that too closely. I don't think too many people are focused on it too closely. So I think I'll set aside the weather discussion here for a couple of weeks. I think the dollar index is um, certainly uh, an important factor, maybe also something that doesn't we can't trade on a day-to-day -day basis, but I think it's a constructive piece. I think the most important, I think there are two areas here that could be quite friendly and the marketplace has chosen, chosen to ignore them or set them aside or given up on them. Uh, and, and one would be China purchases. I think that can occur at any given time from here forward. And I think it's very likely that uh, they're doing business um, and um, by the time the the uh, river system is fully navigationable this spring, by the time that is the case, I would expect that we'll already have Chinese business underway. That's my personal opinion. But I think that's something that the marketplace is is discounted and could get caught off guard. And the other thing, which is I think is probably the most important thing fundamentally that I see in the corn and bean market, and that is a soybean market that had uh, declining carryout uh, by 50 million bushels from, from USDA in their February uh, monthly supply and demand numbers. And in Tuesday's report, I think there's a good chance that USDA will lower the old crop bean carryout again. Their first official look at the new crop balance sheet won't occur until May, but they had that Ag Outlook conference from a couple of weeks ago, and then they plugged in a carryout of 320 million. Um, and I think that it's very much in question whether 
the acreage figures that USDA had in that ag outlook to get to the 320 million carryout was um, 85 million beans acres. There are private estimates that are out that seriously question whether the farmer is going to plant that much. Just in uh, having conversations with producers, nobody's excited about planting beans. And uh, um, I think it's very possible that the bean acres are going to fall short of what's needed to equal consumption. And so the carryout is probably going to decline again. I don't think the market will allow that to happen without it being addressed to some degree between now and when the farmers go to the field and, and make those final decisions. To what degree the marketplace will assess that remains to be seen, I guess. But if the market really wanted to um, try to uh, encourage more bean acres, you know, at minimum, they, it's got to gain, you know, 70 or $80 on corn acres. And that implies a pretty sizable uh, bean rally, even if corn was unchanged. And if you look at the corn price action last week, which I would classify as being very constructive, um, I think there's a, you know, a, a very bullish argument here for soybeans. Um, and I think for me, that's probably the most important fundamental that I see. And, and so I'm probably, you know, very bullish beans from a historical standpoint about how cheap they are versus corn, how cheap soybeans are versus just the history of soybeans since 2007. And uh, so I'm, I'm very friendly beans here. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just looking here. We're at about a, what, a 2.37 corn to bean ratio, and we're probably 50 to 60 cents away from where you start getting people taking a look again. But I still think, you know, on the soybean side of things, you really need a buck before people do simple math. You know, they they will actually change anything. Like we talked, or I talked with you a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people already have their their minds made up. It's going to take a pretty big shift to to make very much changes as far as intentions. I think. Well, it wouldn't surprise me to see soybeans uh, rally a dollar and a half in the next. Uh, well, let's just say by the let's just say by the first of May, and uh, that's a kind of a bold statement. But it, I wouldn't be surprised that it, it could happen. Yeah, and what's that mean for corn then? If, be, if beans could rally that much, well, that would probably corn could go up thirty or forty cents, maybe. Um, you know, the, the corn market, um, like I say, I think the chart action after last week was very good. The fact that the period of weakness that we had at the end of February could easily be attributed to things not coronavirus related, and the fact that the market had a five-day flush and then immediately went back well above that and and now is still higher than it was during the time frame of that five-day flush. Um, I think this has something constructive chart-wise. Cash basis uh, levels are kind of steady. The undertone is firm. It's certainly not weak. Um, there's certainly a lot of bushels that have moved on fear of uh, going out of condition or things of this nature. And I think that there are producers that you know, may have given up on opportunities for better prices. And I think the banks have had a role in encouraging prices to, to bushels to be moved. If you talk to growers in the East or buyers in the East, um, they, they question if they, how tight this, they, they think the supplies will be very tight as the season goes along because they had such a reduction in crop size last year. 
Um, I don't think basis values are probably going to weaken. I wouldn't be surprised they could actually firm some, but that opinion may not be as important as other factors. If you happen to be in an area where your roads are going to be embargoed during the spring and you want to focus your attention on spring field work when that opportunity presents itself, there might be reasons to move that grain before that. Um, if you've got corn that was maybe a little wet going into your bin uh, at harvest time, um, you know, I don't think you want to take that risk. So that might be another reason to move grain. And so with bases levels where they are, even though I think there's a, probably a, a decent chance that they might uh, strengthen some more, um, I am not at all opposed to moving corn, locking in the bases, getting that stuff physically moved for all the other reasons that aren't price or market related. Um, and then um, I wouldn't want to establish the futures price on it yet. So I just move it on a basis contract or something like that. That would be my approach, but I don't have any problem with moving the physical grain and turning it into uh, cash. And um, you might leave some basis on the table, but the other thing that could happen, it's possible that if the futures market decided to rally, and that was driven by, you know, China becoming a buyer and, and some belief that the uh, phase one actually will lead to some business uh, and the futures market rallied on, you know, basis levels would try to weaken during some of that futures rally, at least initially. Um, then when they get into field work, maybe the basis will be stronger, but, you know, guys don't want to be hauling it then either. So I, I guess in terms of basis values, it's tough to argue that this is not a good time to price or move your physical grain because from a historical perspective. So I have no problems seeing people move their physical corn uh, down the road and then maintain pricing opportunities either by having a basis contract or just pricing your physical and buying it back on paper. Any either of those scenarios are basically the same, same, th same thing. Uh, but I do think that the futures market has got price strength ahead of us in, in the corn market as well. I think it'll be led by the old crop months, not so much the new crop. Um, to get new crop strength in the corn, you probably do need some level of optimism from exports and China and things of this nature. But I'd say it's, it's uh, certainly very possible that that's going to happen uh, by the time we are uh, uh, got our river navigation system, you know, fully operational. Mm -hmm. Well, you did a you did a good job. I was going to ask a question on basis, and you went you went right into it. So that's okay. good. That was good. That was going to be my last thing I was going to ask you. And I would I would agree. You know, from what we're seeing locally here, you know, like the Cedar Rapids, Iowa market, and just talking to a couple of people um, yesterday briefly, um, the basis levels are still a little better than what's posted too. I still think it's a good idea to give wherever the grain's going, giving the processor a phone call and maybe moving a few more bushels than you otherwise might move at a given point in time too, just to throw that out there. Um, you know, they'll, they'll reward a, a bigger chunk if, if a person's willing to do that. And if you're, you know, and kind of like what you're saying, I would agree too, is it's probably a good time to take advantage of some of that basis and you can get some of that money and, and leave the top side open yet um, and make sure the grain in the bends is, okay and and when we get back into 
spring and stuff, I think there's going to be some opportunities too, but that's tough when everybody's planting. But to me, that's a really good time to figure out a way to, to get a truck moving somehow or another, bring, bring another body in. A lot of times that easily pays the wages of putting somebody in a truck uh, when the planter's rolling, if at all possible. And and this year might be a good case because corn likes to germinate <clears throat> when it's above 50 degrees. And when we start getting warmer weather, it's bad when it germinates in the bend. It's always better if it's in the field when it's <laughs> germinating. So that, that's not, my thing. Agreed. And it's also not difficult to find either growers, processors, ethanol plants, any or all of them that will tell you um, experiences that they have that suggest the quality of last year's harvest wasn't near as good as what uh, normal would be. And so the threat of that corn going out of condition, it might be greater this year than a normal year. And uh, if you think uh, prices are bad, the one sure way to make it even worse is to allow some bushels to go out of condition. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's an expensive endeavor right there, too. And and then just the safety side of it. And we want everybody to be safe, too, and stay out of these bins um, when they start not flowing out like they should. So, you know, with with um, basis, corn basis as strong as it is there, you know, the tool chest is full of marketing opportunities and tools to choose from that. You can keep all the pricing options open that you want. Uh, without keeping that physical grain. And if you're keeping the physical grain, the only reason you're doing it is try to get a better price and a better revenue. Well, uh, it's not worth taking a risk that grain goes out of condition, um, <clears throat> especially when basis are, is at the levels that it's at. You know, find a different way to, to maintain a bullish attitude without you know, uh, keeping that stuff in the bin. Yeah, because I would agree with you from what I'm hearing from a few of the processors that we communicate with two a week or so ago is that if we start to see the futures rally, they're going to be very aggressive in taking some of that away. Like you said, initially anyway, if the grain slows down, they'll have to start giving back uh, back in, but they're going to be pretty aggressive at taking it away if we start seeing some rally too. Yes, I think so. So, Well, thanks, Dwayne. I think I think we've pretty well covered everything um, that – I kind of had, unless you had something else on the agenda, but I think we, we kind of hit everything pretty good today. Yeah, so much so that I, I honestly don't think I have a last thought. And, and you don't have to get together with me now. We've talked about everything, so um, we can get together. What I'm not sure what the incubation period is on coronavirus, but I should be clean in 14 days. Yeah, so well, we let's, I'll, I'll uh, see you in 15 then. <laughs> okay, that sounds good, so... Well, hey, uh, thanks for the conversation today. I think it was a great one, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Okay, Chris. All right. Thanks, Dwayne, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you again next time on the AgView Pitch. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the AgView Pitch. As always, you can reach out to us at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com or Dwayne L at netends.net. We'll catch you next time on the Eggview Pitch.